Well, good uh, windy, rainy morning to you. We are glad that you are here today. Um, and as we are beginning this new year, 2017, we have been talking about prayer. We've been talking about how to talk to God. And we've already looked at Jesus' basic teaching on prayer. And then we've looked at some basic practices that are essential to praying effectively. And so today, we're going to be taking it up a notch. Today, I want uh, to call us all to devote ourselves to prayer. You know, the Bible says many, many times in many places that we must be a people of prayer, that we must be a community committed to prayer, that we should be a people who are wearing our knees out in prayer because we know that God is our only hope. We must pray, and we must pray with passion, and we must never, never give up. God issues many callings to his people in the Bible. I'm going to read you one of them. It's in Isaiah 56, verse 7, and it says this. God is speaking, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God doesn't say that it should be called a house of programs or a house of activities or a house of really clever ideas or a lot of other things that might be in themselves good things. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. We go to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 14, and we are told that after Jesus ascended back to heaven, ending his earthly ministry, his followers gathered in an upper room, and Luke writes that they constantly devoted themselves to prayer. And it is in response to that, and we read in Acts chapter 2, that God sends his Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and the church is born, and the church just explodes. Acts 2.42 says that the church devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. You may notice that the next line, verse 43, it says, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. God says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And it really is no wonder because when we pray, it is then that we place ourselves into the jet stream of God's mighty power. You ever stop to think about this, that a church that uh, is praying cannot be torn by dissension or gossip or uh, have a cold heart toward unbelievers. If a church is devoted to prayer, that doesn't happen. I think you would agree with me that you will never ever find a Christ follower who comes to the end of their life, looks back on how they lived and says, well, you know, I wish I hadn't devoted myself so much to prayer. See, prayer is where we encounter the living God. When we pray, God unleashes his power because God says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I want to tell you today, I believe that is his calling for this house, for Southwinds. I believe that we are in a season where God is calling this house, our house, and and your house, the little house where your small group gathers, or the little house where you live your life. God is calling his house to be a house of prayer. And yet, though we know things like this, how many of us ever in our lives find that we mostly feel guilty about prayer? Mostly, we look at prayer and we, we think that our prayer life is not what it ought to be. 
We are kept from prayer by so many false and misguided beliefs that that just go way down deep into the core of who we are. Uh, A lot of times we find ourselves thinking, no, I really can't pray about my job or about my house or my family because that would just kind of be too selfish. Or we think, I I really can't pray now because my motives are divided because they're they're not 100% pure. Or, Or I can't pray because, you know, my life is just not all lined up yet. Or have you ever said this one? I just can't pray because it's been too long since I pray and I'd be really embarrassed to go before God now. And besides that, if I did, it would take so long to get through all my prayer requests that are all stacked up. I just can't do it. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we kind of end up thinking and saying, I can't pray because I'm not even sure prayer works. Sometimes... You find yourself saying, I just think things just happen, and I just think sometimes God is going to do whatever he wants to do, whether I pray or not, so why pray? Why bother? What difference does it make? Well, let me remind you today that whatever we find ourselves thinking, we serve a God who invites us to the adventure of prayer, a God who tells us that if we will just devote ourselves to prayer, he promises that he will work and he will do it in unbelievable ways. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians, uh, Paul's letter, chapter four, and I'm gonna read in a moment verses two through six. And we're gonna be looking at several other texts today, but we're gonna start here and we're gonna end here. And so uh, it's good for you to have a Bible and have it open. If you don't happen to have one with you, the verses are gonna be on this screen. And as we do our, all of this, we're gonna be focusing on prayer, especially intercessory prayer, especially coming before God with our needs and the needs of others. And the reason is, I think that we are moving into a season where, where God wants to do some extraordinary things here at Southlands. I, I think the months that are ahead of us have the potential to be very amazing. And that's why I'm thinking that, that God wants to use the words that he inspired the Apostle Paul to write in our lives, in our church. Because I think he wants us to make this year a year that is devoted to prayer. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Devote yourselves to prayer. You know, there is no area of life where the Bible encourages perseverance more strongly than in this area of prayer. And I think it's because the the Bible writers knew that fallen people like us are apt to get discouraged or apt to get bored or apt to get distracted or apt to feel guilty. And then we just give up. We just stop praying. And so they constantly said, whatever else you do, don't stop praying. In Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus tells a story that's known as the story of the persistent widow. And this is what Luke writes. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells two stories, the story of a persistent neighbor, the story of a father that gives good gifts to his son. And it's the same message in both stories. Always pray, don't give up. 
verses nine and following, he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Devote yourselves to prayer. Always pray. Don't give up. Paul is really showing us the same thing at the beginning of Colossians in chapter 1, verse 9. And there's just one phrase I want you to notice. Paul writes, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Paul says, I haven't stopped. I haven't given up praying. Just devote yourselves to prayer. The Bible is saying again and again, just don't give up. And it's kind of an interesting thing. Maybe you've connected this. In Colossians 1, Paul says that he never stops praying for the Colossian Christians. But in chapter 4 that we just read, Paul is asking the Colossians to pray for him. Did you notice that? I want you to look at verses 2 through 6 again. And I want you, as you see those verses and remember what we just read, I want you to understand that Paul is writing these words as he writes this entire letter from a particular place, and that particular place is prison. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you were in prison, and if you were asking people to pray for you, what do you think would be at the top of your prayer request list for them to ask? Get out of prison. Please pray that I get out of prison. But you will notice in these verses that Paul doesn't say anything about getting out of prison. Paul, more than anything else, wants them to pray that God opens a door. He says, ask God to open a door. Ask God to cause the gospel to spread. He says, don't stop asking. Just keep praying. Don't stop asking. And they did that. They didn't stop asking. The first century Christ followers asked and asked and asked, and God did it. And the world was turned upside down. So here's the question for us, Southwinds. What if we were to spend this next year asking and asking and asking God to open doors, and he did it? What if we were to spend this next year asking God to spread the gospel through this place more powerfully than he ever has before, and he did it? What if every single one of us in this church family prayed this prayer, God, let me proclaim the mystery of Christ this year, and God did it? What if every single one of us asked God, God, please let me have at least one person in my life who doesn't know you this January come to know you by next January? What if we all prayed that? What if God did it? What if we gathered next January and hundreds of people have walked through those doors that you just walked through a few minutes ago? They walked through those doors and then as they heard the gospel, they walked through the doors of faith. Hundreds of people. What if that happened? And we all looked around at each other and we said, we just kept asking. We asked. God opened doors, and God opened doors, and all year we kept asking, and God did it. And 2017 was the greatest adventure of prayer in our lives. Anybody think they'd like to be part of a church like that, where that kind of thing is happening? I'm telling you, we can, and I believe we will, 
I believe that God is up to something in our midst, and so we need to devote ourselves to prayer. And now today, I want to look at two things. I want to look at why, and I want to look at how. I want to ask the question, why is it so critical that we devote ourselves to prayer? Why is this so foundational? I mean, why would everything else we do not amount to much if we don't pray and not give up, if we don't persist in prayer? And then second, how do we do it? How do we pray and pray with devotion? So why and how, and we'll start with the why. Why devote ourselves to prayer? Why does the Bible make such a big deal about prayer? Let me give you just two reasons. Number one, prayer changes what is possible. Paul really believed this staggering idea. He really believed that prayer opens doors that would remain locked otherwise. He really believed that prayer can make a timid witness to the gospel bold. He really believed that prayer can make a vague presentation of Christ clear. And so he says, pray for this. I want to show you something very interesting. It's, it reveals to us how seriously the Bible takes prayer. And you find it in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And it's in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. And it's an amazing passage. The, the broader context is that uh, John is writing about the story of the seven scrolls and the seals have been broken. We're in the ends of time and these scrolls have been opened up. Their seals are broken and they tell the story of human sin and human violence and God's judgment on history and so on. And And then a remarkable thing happens. Verse 1, chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Just silence. I mean, don't we feel a little anxious when it gets really, really silent? I mean, if I were to stand up here for a half an hour, would any of you kind of start twitching? Like, what's he doing up there? Heaven goes silent. Verse 2, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a, a great quantity of incense to offer. And notice this, with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. Now here's what the writer is talking about, using a great deal of imagery. Usually, we, we think of events on earth being interrupted because of actions taken in heaven, Right? But in this scene, it's the other way around. All of heaven comes to a standstill. The endless songs and praises of the heavenly host that have been chronicled in earlier chapters of Revelation, they're all stopped. Why? Why? So that the prayers of all the saints, people like you, people like me, prayers like yours, prayers like mine, so that every one of those prayers can rise before God. Do you see what is saying here? The prayers of the saints are heard. They matter. They, they interrupt heaven, and what happens on earth next happens because people 
prayed. I know some of us struggle with this and we find ourselves thinking if God is sovereign and he's in control and he determines all things, why should I pray? But the Bible makes it clear that God has sovereignly determined that he responds to prayer. That's his sovereign will. And so we pray. Prayer changes what is possible. Second reason prayer is so important is that human history belongs to the intercessors. History belongs to the intercessors, to those who believe and to those who pray the future into being. This is a very important thought for us to ponder at this particular time in our history as we are going through a transfer of power in our nation's government. We need to be reminded, and this is not a, a partisan statement in any way, shape, or form. We need to be reminded that history does not belong to those we think sometimes it belongs to. History does not belong to the politically powerful. It does not belong to the wealthy. It does not belong to the military armies. It does not belong to the corporations or the global media empires. The Bible tells us history belongs to those who intercede before God. You know, the Bible says that interceding is what Jesus is doing right now. You ever wonder, what's Jesus doing right now in heaven? The Bible tells us he's interceding. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also doing what? Interceding for us. Right now, today, in this moment, as you sit in that seat, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God and he is interceding for you. You know, his ministry on earth lasted about three years. His ministry of intercession in heaven has now been going on and it's not over yet for 2,000 years. History belongs to the intercessors. And it's really important that we remember this because it's easy for us sometimes to get confused and, and to think that only visible things matter. We, we think that a church is built on human cleverness or human strength, and those things aren't bad, but they are never enough. The Bible says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, here's the reality. In a room like this with a group of us gathered together like this, there are some of you who know all this, and you're actually living this. You pray faithfully. You pray persistently. And I'd like right now to say a few words to you. If this is you, I want to remind you, and I want to remind all of us here of some things that are very important. If you are a person who prays and you devote yourself to prayer and you persist in prayer and you persevere in prayer, you need to be reminded of something very important. We don't know We don't know how many people have walked through the doors of this church because you prayed. We have seen almost 1,100 people baptized in the last 13 years. We don't know how many of those people who have stood up in front of other people and publicly professed their faith in Christ as repentant sinners turning from their prior lives, giving their hearts to Christ. We don't know how many of those people got baptized because you prayed. We don't know how many tragic sins and mistakes in lives of people in this room and maybe in this community have been avoided. We don't know how much grace has been poured out because of your prayers. We don't know, and we won't know this side of eternity. But we do know this, that history belongs to the intercessors 
It belongs to those who believe, to those who pray, the future into being. Now, all of us are called to pray, but some of us have a special gift for prayer. Intercessory prayer is one of the spiritual gifts talked about in the New Testament. We, we, we talk about this in our Discovery 301 class, and there are some of you that have this gift. There are some of you who find that you have a special delight in praying for others. Some of you have this ability to pray and to keep praying with great diligence until an answer to your prayers comes. I believe in Colossians 4.12 that such a person is listed there. Paul is closing his letter up. He's running through these names, acknowledging people, giving thanks for their ministries, a lot of things like that. And he just mentions this guy who's devoted to prayer. His name is Epaphras. And by the way, if you're going to have a kid anytime soon, you should write this name down. It'd be a great name uh, for your kid, Epaphras. You could name him that. Nobody else would have that name in his kindergarten class, I'm sure. (laughs) Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. And here's what it says. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. That's someone who has the gift of intercessory prayer. See, some of you, you often feel an intense burden to pray, and you find yourself maybe praying for people you haven't even seen for years. You look for opportunities to pray, and when you find one, you just get after it. Some of you have this gift, but maybe it hasn't been called into blossoming yet. I'm doing that right now. I'm doing that today. I want to challenge you. If you are feeling a tug there, if you say as you hear this, yeah, I do have a delight in praying and I I feel a burden to pray and and I, I find that I have this ability to pray and I just keep praying until the answer comes, I want to challenge you, don't hold back. Pray, devote yourself to prayer. Don't give up, always pray. Study what the Bible says about prayer. Talk to other people and learn what they know about prayer. Pray about that and if you do, Some of you are going to have lives of unbelievable adventures in prayer. You're you're going to experience things that are known only to a very few people. You have been specially gifted for this, and it is about to start right now, maybe today. So pay very close attention. Now, some of you are called to pray and have a gift for this, but all of us are called just to pray, whether we have the gift or not. Why? Well, the Bible says... History belongs to the intercessors. It belongs to those who believe and who pray the future into being, to those who devote themselves to praying, God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's who history belongs to. That is why we are to pray, and we are to pray and not give up. You say, okay, I get it. That's why, but how? How do we do this? How do we devote ourselves to prayer? I mean, I think most of us want to pray at least, but we do struggle, honestly, with sticking with it. And so in the time we have left, I want to help us with that. I want to walk us through three resolves. Um, you know, you've already, you've already failed on all your other New Year's resolutions, right? So you need a new one. <laughs> I know, I know. So here's something new to take up, because just forget about all that. Um, three resolves that I would like for us to make as a family next year that'll help us to persist in prayer And here's the first one. Write this down. Establish a realistic pattern of prayer. Now, when Paul says in Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, that that Greek word devote means to persist. It means to 
remain at something. It means to cling to something. It, it was used sometimes of a boat that was constantly, continually available for service. So you resolve that you will pray and not give up because Jesus is looking for prayers who will not be turned aside, who, who will not be distracted, people who are busy with prayer, who will say that prayer is of ultimate importance because we believe by faith that history belongs to the intercessor. And you say, how do we do that? Well, we need to get really practical about this, especially if you're one of the majority of us who struggle with prayer. See, if your prayer life is going well and Whatever you're doing is working for you, that's great. Keep doing it. I mean, it's on track right now, then stay on that track. But if you are here and you struggle with prayer, I want to encourage you to establish a realistic pattern of prayer. And we talk a lot about this in our Discovery 201 class, but let me share some of these ideas. And they're very simple. They're very doable. Number one, start short. Just five or 10 minutes. Just commit to something doable that will launch you into a pattern of regular, consistent praying. See, here's what happens. A lot of people, we we feel guilty about prayer. And because we feel guilty, we decide that we're going to start with praying really what is way too long a time. Okay. You know, you hear pastors tell stories about guys like Martin Luther or John Wesley or, or somebody's grandma, and they prayed for three or four hours a day. And we think that's what I should be doing. What's wrong with me? I don't really love Jesus at all. And so we, we, we just jump into something and we think I'll just master prayer overnight. And then it doesn't happen. And then you feel guilty and then you give up. Amen. Ever happened to anybody, anything like that? You see, it's wisdom to start with something doable and then keep that up for as long as it takes to become a a solid habit for you. And and don't try to increase it too soon. Just make sure you're praying. And here's part of why. I want you to see this. I want you to know this. Because if you go out of here today and you say, I'm going to start praying, here's what's going to happen. After some days or some weeks, you will be tempted to quit. You're going to decide, I'm going to pray today, and somewhere down the line, maybe this week and maybe next month, but it's going to happen. You're going to get discouraged. And some of you have never been willing to admit this in church, but I'll just say it for you. You're going to get bored. And when that happens, what I want to encourage you to do is not to play games. Sometimes we do stuff like this. We'll We'll say, well, you know, I'll skip today because I don't really feel like it, and I'll just do 10 minutes tomorrow because, you know, five and five is 10, so it adds up. And then you find that you're at the end of the week, and now you're 70 minutes behind if you're going to catch up, And right? I hear that laughter. Some of you have done that exact thing. So just start short and stay with it. And then second, if you miss a day, if you kind of fall short of what you're trying to do, don't waste time feeling guilty. Guilt kills prayer for many, many people. We, we get trapped in an idea that prayer is about proving to God how committed we are. And, and so we find ourselves thinking that how much time I pray is the single way of expressing my commitment to God. And then when I don't do that, I just feel all these massive amounts of guilt. Be reminded that God is interested in your whole life and your obedience to him all through the day, I want you to write this next sentence down and think about it because this could change, change things for many of you. Prayer is primarily a gift God gives to you. Prayer is primarily a gift God gives to you. 
It's not a way to measure how committed you are. It's about a relationship with him. And so if you miss a day, don't waste time feeling guilty. Just go back the next day and pray five minutes. You know, get back to that pattern. Third, choose the same time each day to pray. This is part of a, making it a pattern. And, and I know we are busy people, and I know this may seem impossible to some of us, but if you allow the time to vary from day to day to day, you will discover it just has a way of evaporating altogether. Fourth, and this is kind of in the same vein, pray in the same place. Now, you can pray all through the day, but for your focused time of prayer, have one place where you pray. Have one place that becomes for you kind of a holy place between you and God. I have a chair that I sit in and that I pray in at home. That chair is pretty precious to me. I have a certain routine I go through, and I do it in that chair So you have one place for you that signals to your heart and to your mind, this is my time and this is my place to focus in on God and be with him and pray. And then finally, fifth, do it at the time of day when you're at your best. Now, most of us have probably heard some teaching that some Christians teach that it always has to be at a certain time. Usually they say that's in the morning, right? Well, what if morning is your worst time of the day? I mean, honestly, you, you may be the kind of person that God doesn't really want to talk to in the morning. <laughs> and so, you know, if that's you, when you wake up, then greet God, just briefly commit your day to him, but, but set aside that focused time of prayer for your best time of day. Maybe it's right before lunch. Maybe it's right before you go to bed. It's different for different people, but do what works. Because eventually, I'm just telling you, believe me, if you, if you just keep at this, again, just being realistic now, if you just keep at this and you, you push through those times when you want to quit, you will find sooner or later that it becomes a habit, it becomes a pattern, becomes a, a part of your life. And when it becomes a habit like that, when it no longer really is fluctuating according to how you feel, you will more and more find yourself doing it as a matter of course. And when that happens, then it is safe for you to increase it a little bit at a time until that increased time is a habit and you just allow it to grow. So Hear what I'm saying. Start by establishing a realistic pattern of prayer. It is not a guilt deal. And it's going to take some work. It's going to take some tenacity. But it can happen when you devote yourself to praying. Here's the second resolve. Pray boldly. Pray boldly. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 is a great passage to encourage us in this. It says, therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence or with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You say, how do we pray boldly? Well, let me tell you how you don't do it, what it doesn't mean. To pray boldly does not mean that you try to kind of, you know, tense yourself up and and you conjure up certainty by force of the will that you get to a place where you don't feel any uncertainty. It's not about that. It's not about people 
trying to sound certain or feel certain when the truth is inside, they're just being torn apart by doubts. Remember that time that that father prayed to Jesus, Lord, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus said, why do you say if? Jesus said, all things are possible to the one who believes. And the, the dad responded, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In other words, he was saying, I believe enough to come to you. His faith wasn't perfect, but that faith was bold enough. See, bold praying doesn't mean conjuring up certainty. It also doesn't mean praying with a loud voice. I mean, how many times have you know, people kind of communicated to us that you're a bold prey if you just pray with a loud voice? When does boldness have to do with yelling? It doesn't mean demanding that God does something. That's not bold praying. I mean, I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again. There is a God, and it's not you. We don't tell God what to do. That's not bold praying. In a a lot of uh, cases, we have people telling us that bold praying means something like using these trick formulas for, for prayer. You know, you use a certain phrase, or you sound real confident, or you just place things in the grammatical form of a demand. But prayer is not about games. God doesn't play games with people. Let me tell you some things that bold praying is, and these won't be on the screen, but if you want, you can write them down. Bold praying means you never let guilt stop you. You pray, hear me, you pray, friends, not because of how spiritual you are, not because of how committed you are. You pray because Jesus has given you access to God because we have a great high priest. That's why you pray. And he tells us that we can come to him at any time. Bold praying. Bold praying means you ask God to do things that, humanly speaking, you would give up on. Let me give you one example. Bold praying means, and and some of you need to start doing this today, it means that you begin to pray for the person in your life that you believe is farthest from God of anyone that you know. I'm just going to ask you a question. When I say that, um, I'll put it this way. Do you know anyone in your life and your honest thought about them is they will never come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know anyone like that? And remember, you're in church, so lying is not a good thing. I think almost all of us know someone like that. And um, I will just tell you, 9.30 service, the 8 o'clock service is more honest than you are. Um, <laughs> you know, I've told you before, you're my favorite service. I'm having to rethink that right now. Um, but who's that person? I mean, honestly, you think about them, you think, they'll never turn to Jesus. They'll never repent of their sins. Will you start praying for that person? You can pray for that person. You never know what God is going to do. Here's what you need to pray about that person. God, it's January, and I am praying. I am asking you, God, would you bring this person to faith in Christ this year in 2017? Start praying for that person to see what God does. Bold praying means that you pray for the healing of your most difficult relationship in life. What is that for you? You pray that God will heal it. Bold praying can involve praying for some need that is utterly beyond your ability, where you just pray and you say, God, I need you to do something. I know I cannot do it. Friends, we can all do that. We can all Pray boldly like that. And so I just want to encourage you, before you leave, would you write down a bold prayer that you should start praying? 
God wants you to pray boldly. God doesn't want guilt to uh, stop you. You come and you pray, friends, not because of who you are. You come because we have a great high priest and therefore we can ask for great things. And so even when you are torn by doubt, just have enough faith to come, have enough faith to ask. Here's the third resolve. We can devote ourselves to prayer when we ask God to open doors. I'm just saying we need to be a people who ask God to open doors for the spread of the gospel this year like we have never asked before. Let's just ask God this year to extend grace. I want you to look at Colossians 4 again. This is verses three through six. Paul again is speaking. He writes and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, I want you to be really honest now with yourself. When you think about your praying, how much of your praying is truly kingdom praying? In other words, praying for the concerns of God's kingdom, Christ's body, as opposed to personal praying. How much is kingdom praying as opposed to personal praying? We just see here, I've already mentioned that Paul was devoted to praying for open doors for the gospel. He wanted people to pray for him that he, an apostle, would proclaim the message clearly. I was thinking about that this week, and it occurred to me something very important. It said to me, do you realize this? It means, it means if I preach a bad message, it's your fault because you're not praying. I kid, I kid. I mean, you know, some of you don't understand. But do you realize how important that is? That we pray for the clear communication of the gospel. Paul says in this passage, conduct yourselves wisely when you're with outsiders. And here's why, because someday, Paul says, someday maybe they won't be outsiders. Someday maybe they'll be insiders. See, all day long, you see outsiders, people who are outsiders at your work, in your neighborhood, where you shop, where you buy your gas, where your kids go to school at your favorite restaurant, start praying and don't give up. Lord, open a door for the gospel. And then as you pray for God to open doors, you at the same time pray, God, make me alert. Help me to respond when you open those doors of opportunity. Paul says a real interesting thing in verse five when he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, literally, that word opportunity means time. Uh, the Greeks actually had two major words for time. One of them was the word chronos. You recognize that word. We get our word chronology from that. And this refers to just a uh, tick on the clock. It's like clock time. But then they, they had a second word they would use, and that word is kairos. And, and that word would refer to a, a decisive moment or a crisis or a crossroads, maybe what we would call a defining moment. Kairos is the Greek word for defining moment. Chronos is clock time. Kairos is the word Paul uses here. 
And what he's saying is there will be opportunities. There will be defining moments in the lives of people around you. There will be moments when for whatever reason, maybe after years of hardness, maybe after years of rebellion, that their hearts suddenly open to God. And how will you know that's happening if you're not connected to God in prayer? I want to read you a letter that someone at a church back in Illinois wrote, and it was actually a number of years ago, and you'll notice that as soon as I begin reading it. This letter goes like this. My wife and I have been attending this church, and he names the church, for close to 22 years. And for most of that time, I have tried to share Christ with my sister. I sent her tapes over the years. That's the clue. (laughs) I called her, I wrote her, I talked with her, all to no avail. Recently, I felt the Lord saying to get a copy of a tape where the gospel had been presented and send it to her. And my first response was, Lord, what's the use? I've been trying this for over 20 years. She doesn't listen to them anyway. He goes on to say, oh, I sent the tape finally. And then this was kind of interesting. He said, I sent it together with a cassette recorder and batteries. He just kind of wants to cover every base. And then he said, the rest of the story is in her letter, and he sent along a photocopy of the letter that his sister sent back to him. And she writes about a number of things, and then she writes about the day that the tape came in the mail. She said, that noon, I came home for lunch, and there was this package, and I opened it, and I saw the tape. I read the letter. I knew this must be important. I knew you always sent tapes, and quite honestly, I have never taken time to listen, partly because until now, I didn't have a tape deck that worked. She said, I realized that this is just an excuse. Now, you need, another thing you need to know about her letter, this actually just kind of kills me. She says there was a particular reason why she was looking for something in the mail. She writes, a couple days earlier, I was reading my horoscope, and my horoscope said something important would come by mail. <laughs> now, I want to be really clear on this. Do not dabble in astrology. Don't read the horoscopes. The cold is a dangerous thing. But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. When God is after you, friends, there's nowhere to hide. And at the end of this woman's letter, what she tells her brother is that she had given her life to Christ. And then the writer of this letter, he sent that letter to some other folks and three other people gave their lives to Christ. All because, think of it, After 22 years of frustration, somebody devoted themselves to prayer and they kept praying and they did not give up and they kept persisting and they kept persevering. They kept on praying because history belongs to the intercessors. God kept tugging at another human heart and one day that heart softened and one day that heart opened. The door opened wide and God spoke and they listened and God said, this is it. This is a defining moment. This is an opportunity. This is Kairos time. Even though there had been 22 years of fruitless frustration, somebody said, I am gonna keep praying. I'm not giving up. After 22 years of Kronos, there came a Kairos. Now, I know not every prayer story ends like this. I know by a long shot. I know, and some of you, this is deep for you, the ache and the mystery of chronic unanswered prayer, prayers that you've prayed and God has not answered them in a way. And sometimes we're gonna pray prayers and they're gonna go unanswered with us. We're gonna take those unanswered prayers to the grave. 
And I don't know why some prayers for great good never turn out the way we desire. But what I do know is this. You and I, each of us, we have the choice. We have the choice to pray or to give up. And you can give up if you want. And prayer is often hard. Prayer often will feel like a waste of time. And sometimes, yes, it's kind of boring. But imagine, imagine getting to the end of your life. Imagine looking at the people you love, your children, your family, your friends, your neighbors, even your enemies. Imagine getting there and saying, as you look back on your whole life, I never devoted myself to prayer. I was a real busy person. I did a lot of stuff. Maybe some of those things were good, but I never became a person of prayer. Imagine that. And you can go down that road if you want to, but I want you today to imagine going down the other one. I want you to imagine how you can become one of the intercessors, how you can one day, one day stand in the presence of God and you can realize that your persistence in prayer has made you part of the very fabric of eternity. Imagine discovering one day that grace was poured out that one day discovering that lives were redeemed, that families were healed, even cities were changed, and they were changed, and this all happened because you prayed. See, just remember today, the Bible tells us that prayer changes what is possible. Just remember, the Bible tells us that history belongs to the intercessors. Just remember that Jesus said to his followers, always pray, never give up, just remember. So I want to leave you with this. I want to challenge you with this, ask you this. Will you pray and never give up? Will you begin today to pray like you've never prayed before? Will you ask God to pour out his blessings here in this place at this church? Will you ask him to just set our church, us, on fire for worship? Will you ask that God's word be taught in this place with great power and great clarity? Will you ask God, will you ask him that the people who follow Christ but haven't taken the step of committing themselves to his body would make worship and would make fellowship and would make discipleship a part of their lives? Would you ask that people all across Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop would find community and find fellowship in a small group? Would you ask that God would transform the spiritual landscape of our entire region. See, if you will, if we all will, if we'll all devote ourselves to prayer, I think we're going to see God do some amazing things. And so I now want to ask you to bow your heads because we're going to pray. And I hope that you will pray there in your seat, there where you are, God has spoken to us. We have heard different things, each of us, in our particular situations that the Holy Spirit has applied to our hearts. And so whatever God is saying to you, will you pray about that? Will you ask him what he wants you to do next? Let's pray together. Father God, um, we want to give you thanks that you allow us to pray. For the, we thank you for the privilege of praying, Father, and Lord, at the same time, we know that we need to ask your forgiveness for the times that we fail to pray. 
Lord, for whatever reasons we don't pray, we pray that you would forgive our sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ and that we would be able to come into your presence clean again. Lord, whatever particular needs you have placed on each individual heart in these moments, Lord, I pray that we would begin to lift those needs before you and that we will keep doing that. We will persist. We will pray, devoting ourselves to prayer. Lord, I just pray that um, we won't hear these words and think this is a good thing and then leave this place and go about our business today, watch a football game, eat lunch, whatever we do, and then we, we set it all aside. We forget about it. Lord, would you just keep what we've heard on our hearts and on our minds? Really, will you keep us from being able to even let it go so that we can become a people of prayer, so that we can see you at work in incredible ways here in our midst? Lord, we pray uh, all these things and so many others, so many prayers that are being lifted before you even now, Father, we know. We ask them all in the name, the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. And together all God's people say, Amen.